Let me ask you, if a tree falls in a forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make any sound when it falls? If a sound system fails to live up to its prescribed purpose and no one is there to be annoyed by it, does it even matter? If I'm too hot this morning, if I'm too cold this morning, the reason it all matters is because we're here. And that's the important thing. When we come together, this is the greatest moment of our week. It should be. And so I rejoice in the blessings of annoyances because we are here in this room and things bother our humanness and bother our preferences. And so I want us to rejoice this morning in squeaky, crackly sound systems and rejoice in in squawking noises and rejoice in just irritations that come with being together with people. Because that's what the body of Christ is about. It's not about not being annoyed with each other. It's about learning how to live with annoyances. And so that's what it means to live uh, in the house of God, the body of Christ, the family of God. So I also want to wish this morning all of our fathers who are here uh, a a very happy Father's Day. And I'm sure some of you have or will probably uh, receive gifts, exchange gifts uh, sometime during this day or or provide well wishes to to those who are fathers. And so that's kind of our American tradition. Today I want to remind all of us of the greatest gift that each of us can possess. And this is a gift that is given us by our Heavenly Father. It's the grace that He provides us. uh, This precious gift when we enter a right relationship with Him. It's God's grace. And this is the avenue by which we are justified by God and where we have peace with God in this relationship. It's our strength through perseverance. It's our hope at times when the world feels hopeless. It's the promise to every believer in Christ. It is our victory. And as we read in the Scripture this morning, this is the conquering power that has overcome the world, that's conquered the world. It's our faith. And you've got to sit on that a minute. You've got to think faith conquers the world. Faith is conquering. So faith is this protective barrier that's between us and, and the schemes of Satan. It's our defense. It's the defense that God gives us when we are in Christ. And when we believe God and take Him at His Word, we remain grounded in that truth and the promise of God. And the lies of the enemy lose their power. Satan's lies have no more effect on us. He loses his grip and we become overcomers. And so in that way, our shield is faith. Faith is our shield. The shield of faith is part of the armor of God. And we've been in a a multi-week series uh, through the, the, the letter of Ephesians. We call we know it as Ephesians, that Paul wrote to these Christians. And so today we're back in chapter 6 as we're coming towards the end of this letter. And we're looking at this armor of God. It's not our armor. It's God's armor that He gives us to utilize. And how we utilize it is going to determine its effectiveness. God's armor is perfect. And it is 100% effective if you use it correctly, just like anything else that that we deal with in life. And so as we've seen, Paul concludes this letter simply saying in chapter 6, in verse 10, Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And so what we tend to do is we look at life in a superficial way. We just kind of skim the surface. And when we do that, 
we're tempted to say, well, my problem is him. Or my problem is her. Or my problem is that situation or this situation that I find myself in. And so when we do that, we are simply skimming the surface. But the Apostle says that you cannot explain life adequately on such a superficial level. You've got to dig in. And you've got to dig down below it because people come and go. And so my problem can't be him and my problem can't be her. And my problem can't be that. Because when they are gone, guess what? we still got some sort of problem. Our problem is still somewhere. Our challenge still resides somewhere in our life. And so people are not just people. People are people who are affected, infected at times by this cosmic battle that's going on all around us. The Scripture reveals to us. And so you've got to look further. You've got to look deeper than that. And so the problem's not against flesh and blood. It's not against what we can touch, taste, smell, and feel necessarily. That's, we see evidence of it through those things, but it's, it's deeper. It's rather against... The, this, this problem is against the whole human race. This world ruler of darkness is set against every one of us. Sole purpose of defeating us. Because in doing so, he thinks he deals a blow to God. God is a conqueror. God is a victor. And he wants us to share in that victory and receive the spoils of the victory of war. Paul says, but here's the problem. It's this enemy who is still fighting, still flailing, that you are still up against. As long as you are sucking wind in this life, you're going to be facing this enemy at every turn. And it's not just Christians who are opposed in, in such a way, but Scripture says everyone, everywhere, is being opposed by these principalities and powers and these world rulers of this present darkness. And so it's Satan at work here. That's who's behind the scenes. And so why do people act and why do people react the way they do? Why do you and I act and react the way we do, the, the things that come our way and things that happen? Well, it's because we're not strong in the Lord in that moment or in that situation or maybe never. And so that comes out in our, our emotions and our choices, our decisions. Our reactions. And so, fathers, as God-appointed leaders and guardians, spiritual guardians of your families, God has entrusted us with such a precious blessing. And we of all people ought to certainly be aware of how important it is to take up and clothe ourselves in the armor of God. What dad cannot get excited about talking about battle and armor and warfare. And this is spiritual warfare. We've got a Father who is out in front of us. Paved the way for us. But what do we need to do? Paul tells us we've got to stand firm. We've got to stand firm. Hold the line. And so this truth of that God's Word is what ties every aspect of life together. All things that pertain to life and godliness, in God's Word. God's words to us at work, at home, at play. Anywhere we go, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, physically, God's Word, the truth, and that breastplate of righteousness that we are to, to cover ourselves with, it covers our heart. It protects our heart from, from us giving in to these wiles, these schemes of the devil, of Satan. Giving in to what the Bible calls the flesh. And so as we confidently live in the promise of salvation because of what Jesus has done for us, then we decide by our life, by our living, that we're going to live by God's righteous standards. And this truth, the Gospel, that Jesus has already defeated Satan, that's the good news. 
Satan is defeated. So we must stand firm and wait until we can fully realize the victory that comes from this battle that God has fought for us and won for us. And those who are in Christ have been adopted and forgiven and redeemed. We've been blessed in so many ways, claimed by God as His children. And this is the peace on which we can stand, even on the most unstable ground, as we have seen. Our feet shod, fitted with the peace of God. And so now Paul says in verse 16 here, and in all of this, all of this standing firm and standing, doing everything we can to stand, in all of this, by taking up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. He says in all of this, in every circumstance. And so as Paul looks around and he sees these Roman soldiers and he's, he's comparing their armament, their, their, what they're wearing to this, this idea of, of this spiritual battle that we are in and this armor of God that He gives us. Paul looks at this and he sees the shield. And this type of shield, often made of wood and covered with some sort of, of skin, it was the first line of, of, the, of defense. It was as large as a door because it would stand in front of the soldier. There were two shields. There was one larger shield that would stand you know, and cover their entire body. Then there was a, a smaller shield for closer combat. And so you picture this large shield that stands in front of you that you can hide behind. And you see this, you've seen this on TV, and some of you have seen it in person as you've participated in breaching a room. And so what goes in front of the breach? The breachers. <laughs> you know, the entry, entry party, a shield. That's the first thing. That's the first line of defense. And so you picture this, this shield. And, and so that in, in, in these times, these soldiers would, would come together and they would, they would pack in together and they would put their shields out and they would form this, this armament of shields it was, no, it was called, basically called a tortoise. And so you can imagine this, this wall around them. And sometimes they would soak these shields in water. And so what that would do is it would protect them against arrows that were launched as they were attacking maybe a wall or a fortified city. And so arrows would be coming down on them or over on them. So they would soak them in water. So when those firing arrow, fiery arrows hit the shields, they wouldn't engulf them in flame. And so... The shield provides this blanket of protection. It's the first barrier against these enemy attacks. And without an effective shield, asking someone who's under attack to stand their ground will be a crazy request. Paul tells us, he says, in this spiritual battle, stand your ground. And it's okay. Because God has given you a shield. A shield of faith. And so notice how the shield of faith it allows us to, it to extinguish not some. Paul didn't say they extinguishes some of Satan's darts. What does it say? Not most, but all. All of the flaming arrows of Satan. And so when people are hurting, oftentimes you hear, you know, trust God. I know what you're going through. Trust God. And we say that, we use that, we, we feel that, we receive that. That advice. And it's a kind gesture of advice. And sometimes people may feel like that's useless advice. Trust God. Well, how can trusting God help the hurting person work through these deeper struggles in their life? How does it do that? For that, you need a therapist, right? And I'm not in any way intending to diminish the value of the purpose of a well-trained, Christian-based, Christian-oriented therapist. 
But what I do want us to think about is this idea, our attitude towards the power of faith. We cannot diminish faith. Just because we don't understand exactly something that we can't see and touch and feel, the substance of things hoped for, this evidence of things not yet seen, we cannot and must not diminish it because of that. Is, is trusting God a trite phrase that we believe lacks any power for the, for the believer? So I wonder how many generations of saints through the centuries before the arrival of modern psychotherapy, how many of them managed to deal with life's problems and life's overwhelming situations. They faced sudden death of loved ones. They faced loss. They had disappointments. They had discouraging setbacks. How did they deal with it? They struggled with friends and family rejecting them and being caught up in all sorts of drama. They had to cope with failing health and loss of income and, and fears of armies that threatened their, their existence and their way of life and, and threatened invading their homelands. They had to deal with all this. Life wasn't any different than it is now when you get down to the human element of it. So how did they cope? How did believers cope over the centuries? They trusted in the living God. Trusted in the living God. Listen to how David describes this grim situation in Psalm 31. As David went through all kinds of hills and valleys in his life and his following God. And he says here in chapter 31 and verse 13, For I hear what so many are saying. The terrifying news that comes from every direction. I, I skim the channels. I hit them all. CNN, Fox, local news. I see all this terrible stuff that's going on. And when they plot together against me, they figure out how they can take my life. They're coming for me next. But I trust You, Lord. I trust You, O Lord. And I trust in You. I declare You are my God. You are my God. You determine my destiny. Rescue me from the power of my enemies and those who chase me. Smile on Your servant. Deliver me. Why? Because of who I am? Because of all the great things I've done? Reject me, God, because I have failed you time and time again. No, David says, deliver me because of your faithfulness. That's the hope we have in Christ. Because of God's faithfulness to us. He is our shield of faith. So where are all these fiery darts coming from that are fired at us? The same places they've always come from. The same source. The hands of evil. The source of this is evil. Painful, unpleasant circumstances of life come at us like flaming arrows. certainly feels that way at times. And here's the deal. There's a voice that says, hey, you know, God must not care about this. Because look at what you're going through. And, and by the way, if He was actually paying attention to you, would this be happening? Would you have to deal with this? That's the voice that goes off in our heads. Oh yeah, God's really good to let that happen, huh? And some of you have heard that. and You've been challenged with that. And we are constantly exposed to the damage and the destruction of these arrows. These are Satan's arrows. These are his tools. His weapons of warfare. And the shield of faith doesn't deflect these so that someone else gets caught in the ricochet. The shield of faith doesn't say, you know, you're not going to bother me. Boom, take that. You know, we don't shoot it back at somebody else, deflecting it at them. The shield of faith also doesn't harbor these flaming arrows where we're walking through the house going, oh, I don't want to get burned. You know, that's not what the shield of faith does. What does Paul say here? 
It does what? It doesn't deflect it. It doesn't harbor it. He extinguishes them. Removes them from their danger and the damage that they can cause. And so we see the reason is because we've been made into a new person. A new person in Christ. New people. New body by God through Jesus Christ. And this new person, as Paul has been reminding us throughout this letter, this new person looks and acts and lives and responds differently than the old person before and outside of Christ. And so for one thing, we did not have access and don't have access to Jesus and the power of God outside of Christ. Before Christ, we're vulnerable. And we are ignorant of our sins towards God in in most times. And outside of Christ, we're mesmerized by the flaming arrows, you know. It's like a moth to a flame. Ooh, and we stand there and we just take them outside of Christ. So what does Paul say here? But by taking up God's armor, God's shield of faith, you extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so Satan fires these shafts of impurity into our lives. And he fires these shafts of selfishness and of doubt and of fear and disappointment and lust and greed and all kinds of of impurities and vanity and covetousness coming at us all the time. And this boils down to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. really comes down to that. And so Satan literally bombards the believer with all of these arrows, these fiery darts of seductive temptation that are in his weaponry. And the reason he does it is because his intent is to elicit some ungodly response from us. It's to make us sin, cause us to sin. I don't like using the word make because he doesn't make us. We choose to. But he puts those situations in our life to where the temptation, when we give into it, brings about that sin. Non-Christ-like evil responses. And yet... We have at this point, Paul says, a shield of faith. A shield of faith. Why? Because sometimes it just rains down temptation, doesn't it? So we live in a world where it really does, all around us. And we must take up. As Paul said initially, God doesn't throw this on us. He lays it for us. Here it is. We must take it up. We've got to take hold of it. Take hold of the shield of faith. And we understand this Roman picture. We get the picture of the army with the arrows flying around. We know what that looks like in the, in, in the physical world. So why is faith the shield against temptation? How does faith protect us? How does it fend off the arrows that Satan shoots at us? How does faith secure this victory? Well, the writer says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who approaches God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And so this term faith here means believing God. That's the bottom line of the Christian faith. Believing God. Who He is. What He has said. What He has promised. That's the bottom line of everything that we believe. Everything that we do. Everything we hold to. Everything that we have our confidence in. The whole of Christianity is this act of believing that God is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Diligently. That is, I'm looking for God in my life. I'm looking for God's will. It's not just out on a nature walk saying, I hope we see a bird or two. 
It's climbing up in the tree. It's digging through the bushes. It's yelling, hey, birdie, hey, birdie, I want to see you, Lord. That's what it means to be diligent about it, actively seeking. And that's why in Galatians 3, Paul writes in another place, and now it is clear no one is justified before God by the law. Because the righteous one will live, how? By faith. The righteous will live by faith. Faith is our life. It's a matter of believing God. And everybody lives by something. No matter who you ask. Everybody has faith in something. God created this world. He creates a world pure and innocent to the opportunities of sin. And now here comes Satan. Satan comes into this world and he reaches into his quiver... He pulls it back and he fires it into the air. Did God really say that? But he wasn't asking if God has spoken those words. Hey, Eve. Hey, Adam. Did God really speak these words? That's not what he was saying. Did God really say that? See, Satan was questioning what God meant. What are God's motives? Questioning God's motives. See, Satan says you can't trust God. <laughs> you see, he's got ulterior motives. You can't always believe exactly what he says. Did God really say that? Well, see, Satan was tempting them to doubt God and believe him. And they were fooled. And every temptation that has ever come to us came to us as, believe me, not God. When we give in to it, we say, okay. And we turn our backs on God. You come to the New Testament and you have this picture of Christ, this great passage on temptation in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Jesus, as He's out into, in this wilderness here, has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And He's led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God as God is preparing Him for His ministry to go and do His will, His ultimate will. And at the end of that time, Satan comes to Christ to tempt Him. And how does He tempt Him? He tempts Him to not believe God. Same old deal. Don't believe God. Believe Me. And so this is the approach. He says, hey, Jesus, take those stones and you know, turn them into bread. If you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, you can make stones bread. And when he says, if you're the Son of God, Satan's not questioning. See, that word has about it the, the, the meaning of, since you are the Son of God, because you're the Son of God, do this. What's wrong with you? Or maybe it's not what's wrong with you, Jesus. Maybe it's what's wrong with Him. And so he starts playing. See, it's not a moral thing. That some people say the sin would have been eating the bread. That's not the sin. The sin is not eating bread. Well, it is for some of us before July 9th. That's when our little weight loss challenge is coming to a close. But there's no sin in eating bread. There's no sin in doing a miracle if you're God. So what's the sin here? Here's the approach. Satan was saying to Jesus basically, hey, what's the deal? What's the deal? Man, 40 days in the wilderness you've been out here? Look at you. You're parched. You're sunburned. Nothing to eat. Nothing to drink. 40 days out in this... God-forsaken devastation. Forty days out here. What has God done? Abandoned you? Why are you going through this? Why is God letting this happen in your life? Is it because He's abandoned you? 
So the voices. Didn't God say He would take care of you? Didn't God say that He would sustain you? Didn't God say that He would replenish your need? And you're the Son of God, right? So what's going on? Grab some satisfaction. Take hold. You can't wait for God because He's forgotten you. See, Israel thought God had forgotten them when in fact they had forgotten God. Through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40 and verse 27, we read, Why do you say, Jacob, why do you say, Israel, the Lord is not aware of what is happening to me? That my God is not concerned with my vindication? Why do you say this? Why do these thoughts come in your head? They need to be put at ease. How can they be put at ease? By the Word of God. By God's very words. Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is an eternal God, the Creator of the whole earth? He does not get tired or weary. There's no limit to His wisdom. He gives strength to those who are tired. To the ones who lack power, He gives renewed energy. Even youths get tired and weary. Even boys who play five baseball games a day are going to get worn out. Even strong young men clumsily stumble. But those who wait for the Lord's help find renewed strength. They rise up as if they had eagle's wings. They run without growing weary. They walk without getting tired. How about that? But see, Satan comes along and he whispers, Don't believe God. You can't believe God. Don't believe... He doesn't keep His Word. I mean, look what happens. How long has it been since you heard from Him? See, God didn't give you the whole picture. He didn't let you in on everything that was going on. He didn't tell you the truth. I know what He said, but let me add this. Believe me, do it my way. Too many times we do. When temptation comes, whether it's slowly, or whether it descends upon us quickly, Satan says, do it. Go on, do it. It's a thrill. You're going to love it. After all, where's God been? You'll make it a little more thrills here. So who do you believe when you sin? When we sin, who do we believe? We believe the devil. Bottom line. When we sin, we have believed the devil. I'm going to feel better when I take this out. I'm going to feel better when I commit this. I'm going to feel better when I don't do this. That's Satan telling us, yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. The father of lies. Allowing him to speak into our life. When we sin, we believe Satan. When we obey, we believe God. That's the bottom line. Remember we read earlier, 1 John 5, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has testified concerning His Son. When we don't believe God, we say not only do we don't believe you, we don't believe Jesus and what He has done for us as sinners. You say, I don't, I don't do that. We do in the moment. We do in the moment. So who do you believe in this testimony? This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. And the one who has the Son has this eternal life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have this eternal life. 
How do I get this eternal life? You've got to get the Son. Where is this eternal life? It's in the Son. I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. I don't know how to explain things in the Bible. I don't know how to answer questions about salvation. Where do you get eternal life? In the Son. How do you get eternal life? In His Son. Folks, it doesn't get any simpler than that. You don't have to have a theological degree. You don't have to own all kinds of commentaries and Bible dictionaries. You open the pages and right there, the one who has the Son has this eternal life. Who can you not explain that to? And why don't we do more of it, Sean? Who will you believe? Who will you believe? Fathers, what lies are you allowing to become truth in your life? Fathers, what truth are you speaking into your children's lives? See, faith in Christ as the deliverer of God's creation, that's the only shield, the only shield that would not just withstand these flaming arrows of misery that come our way, but faith in Jesus Christ, this shield of faith is the only one that will extinguish them. Extinguish them. See, the power of God is greater than your greatest fear. And the power of God is greater than the greatest calamity that can ever come upon your life. And the power of God is greater than your greatest weakness. The power of God is greater than anything else. See, the more you know Him, the more you know God, the more you'll trust Him. The more you'll trust Him, the more you believe Him the more your faith has increased. And we know Him more by spending more time with Him. We spend time with Him in His Word. We spend time with Him in prayer, meditating, talking to God, listening to God. Father, how, is this, how can I apply this to my life? My situation. Let me taste and see that the Lord is good. Not sit back and watch. Taste and see. That's laying hold of. That's getting involved in. How the Lord is good. And we know Him more by spending time with His people, assembling, sharing life together as the children of God, the family of God, in different contexts, different opportunities. That's how we come to know God more. It's through one another, His children. One of the most tangible ways that someone can understand how Christ can transform a life is to know, to be told, to be explained, to be shown to be pointed to, this is how He transformed my life. Oh, now I can see how the Lord is good. But that requires relationship. It requires being intentional. It requires being purposeful. The battle belongs to the Lord as eternity has been secured for us by Him through Jesus Christ as His faithful children. But in the meantime, in this meantime, we got to hold the line Stand firm. Shore up the defenses. Finally. 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 We're always looking for the end. Give me the, give me the end. Give me the, the sum, sum it up. What's the conclusion? Get to the punchline. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
all around us. Therefore, he says, okay, you got that? You get what I'm saying? Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. You feel a little scorched in your life? See, we may need to look around and, whoa, how'd that flaming thing get... See, somewhere Satan's got through our defenses. We got an arrow burning a hole in our soul, our spirit. And that sin, finding a way, finding a foothold in our lives. God says, I've got the answer. I've given you the answer. It's my Son, Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, but I have turned my back on you and my back on Jesus. And God tells us, repent. Confess. And I will forgive. God's shield is always there for us. Even when we put it down, God does not remove it. It's there for us to take up again. And this morning, maybe you've laid down some armor of God and you find that sin has found a place in your life. It's not a big sin, but it's enough to affect my relationships with my husband or wife, with my kids, with my family, with my co-workers, my relationship with my church family. How big does it have to be to start putting a gap between our relationship with God even through His children? Repent of that this morning. Guess what? If you are not in Christ, you don't have access to this armor. You are vulnerable. And you will be vulnerable. And you will not withstand the fires of hell. If this wasn't serious, God would not have warned us. But He warns us because... He doesn't want that fear in us. He wants the spirit of peace. And that peace comes through Jesus Christ. And by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of those sins, we can have the peace of God. And we have the armor of God to help us withstand in this life, this dark, these attempts at Satan to destroy us. And God says, no one comes to Me except through My Son. Will you be baptized into Christ today for the forgiveness of your sins? to receive the gift of God's Spirit as a guarantee, a deposit, a promissory note that you have eternal life with God. Will you do that this morning? We're going to stand and sing a song. What arrows are you dodging? If we can help you in any way as your family this morning, will you come as we stand and sing? Mm -hmm.